What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. What's up? And welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app with open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood, Instagram, IGJHood. Hope that you had a great weekend. Hope that you have a great night as I am with you here until 9 o'clock. And we always have the baseball show, Eric. That's uh, It's getting closer and closer to the season starting, so we're always having fun with that. And uh, good to hear from some calls. You could just tell the tug-of-war between Cubs and Sox fans are already happening, right? It's great. So, like, last night I was at my sister's house watching the game, and it's so fun to just have Cubs-Sox sports arguments. Like, I was just – me and my brother-in-law were just arguing Cubs-Sox for two hours, and it was – it just felt felt like it was bringing me back to old times. It was great. <laughs> I mean, it, the season hasn't started yet. There's arguments on the weekend of Cubs Sox on a Sunday, but it was interesting though. It was different than watching Love Is Blind and and watching that on Netflix. It was different to be able to watch something um, that felt normal. Watching baseball on a Sunday night live because we've seen Sunday night baseball for so long on ESPN, and so here it is, and it is. It was interesting for me to be able to watch both teams because when you see that baseball will start on the 23rd officially and then the Cubs and Sox start on the 24th, it is it is great. And it makes you believe that when you see the numbers for COVID-19 go down to a minuscule number to 0.05% amongst players over the last round of testing, it gives you that the it gives you that feeling. I know I started the baseball show on the sixth of July, and many of you did not believe that we would have baseball on opening day. Many of you um, did not call interact with the show because of fear that it would be taken away from you. And I can completely understand that because what we are dealing with is real, and the protocols that are in place are real as, as well. So, as a sports fan, just like you. I'm happy that we did have some baseball yesterday, but I just want to point out a couple of things just from the Cubs and Sox game yesterday, uh, and that is that on the Sox side of the ledger, man, there's nothing like youth. There's nothing like youth, and there's also nothing like a commitment to winning. So we can look at all the big payrolls in sports, the ones that are spending you know, the big money, and from baseball, it's always the Yankees, that's always the Dodgers. On both coasts, they spend a lot of money because that increases their chances to win. And for us here in the Midwest, in Chicago, um, we have asked for our teams to be able to have a commitment to winning because once you do win, 
um, the fan base will never forget how good you are. Never forget um, the great moments that you provide us. You know, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, uh, that happened not from luck or from magic. It happened because there was a vision in place by Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. He brought his Boston Red Sox magic to Wrigley Field, to Clark and Addison, and had an owner that had a commitment to winning in Tom Ricketts. And the Cubs were able to win a World Series. As soon as, you know, it took a little, a couple of years, but the right manager, the right team, the right ownership, the right management uh, in the front office, the right manager in the dugout, all that worked in order for the Cubs to win a World Series in 2016. In 2005, when the White Sox won a World Series championship, um, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was kind of the same Kenny Williams formula of here's Jermaine Dye from the Royals, and here comes Scott Pesednik, and here's um, we're going to piece um, some of these players together. Here comes Contreras. Uh, here comes El Duque, and we'll just piece these guys together and see what happens. Magic happens, and the World Series is won. There was not the same kind of plan from the Cubs where they're going to deal with homegrown talent and then put together some veterans on the team and put together a championship. It was kind of the same Kenny Williams formula of let's put this against the wall, see what happens, and in Ozzie Guillen's second year, there's a championship that's won on the south side. When it comes to the Blackhawks and watching the Blackhawks, um, Dennis Savard was the head coach, and I loved it because growing up as a Hawks fan, watching Savard, Secord, Larmer, those teams from the 80s, uh, Bannerman, all those quality players, and there was a ceiling to their success, but at the same time they were fun to, to be able to watch and listen to on the radio when I was a kid, and just noting noticing that Savard becomes the head coach. I said, well, that's real symmetry, right? Uh, one of the great stars, good old number 18, becomes the head coach. He's underwhelming as the head coach. They remove him for Joel Quinville. But it was more than just Quinville being the head coach. It was about a commitment to winning. It was about Rocky Wirtz saying, and John McDonough at the time, saying, we've got to be able to have a commitment. Commitment to the fans, commitment to the players, homegrown talent plus veteran players around this young, these uh, young players in order for us to be able to succeed, to get to the top of the mountain. And the Hawks rang the bell three times and won three Stanley Cup championships. Something I didn't, didn't think I'd ever see. I didn't think I'd see one. I saw three in this, uh, in this Rocky Wirtz era for the Chicago Blackhawks. So the point is, is that commitment matters. The commitment to winning matters uh, in sports you know, we're not any less because we're in the Midwest. When you have ownership that says we need to be able to spend some money, a certain amount of money in our budget in order for us to win and not just be a team in the middle, man, that makes you feel good as a fan. And just makes you, what also makes you feel good as a fan is that when you are able to see your favorite teams or just see your favorite sport uh, on television, and it has been tough, right? For a lot, a lot of us, it's been tough going through day after day and not having that feeling of, Hey, I've had a rough day or I'm having a rough life, but I need these two hours just to get away from my troubles. These three, you know, I need these three hours to get away from my troubles. And so at least the Cubs fan, Sox fan, the Chicago sports fan was able to get some of that by watching the uh, Cubs and Sox yesterday. 
Glad you're with me here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I remember when Kirk Herbstreet, the college football analyst for ESPN ABC, was on ESPN radio with Freddie and Fitzsimmons going back to March 27th. And he said that he would be shocked if there would be any college football this season. From what I understand, and people I listen to, you're 12 to 18 months uh, from a vaccine at the time that he says that. I don't know uh, that you let these guys into a locker room or let stadiums be filled up and you can play ball. I just don't know how you could do it with the optics of it. And I remember when Kirk Herbstreit said that, and he and that blew up, not only on sports stations, but also on news stations, that Kirk Herbstreit, the, um, the, you know, who he is as the number one voice for college football on ESPN ABC saying that, quote, from what I understand from people that I listen to, we're 12 to 18 months away from a vaccine, and I'll be shocked if we'd have a season this fall. I want you to think about what he said, because maybe, maybe he's right and maybe he's wrong. And I know that from a football standpoint, college and pro, it's going to be weird just like it's weird to see an empty stadium at guaranteed rate or at Wrigley Field with players on the field but no no fans, we very well could see that. I, I just think it's going to be really strange for college football fans and for NFL fans to be able to root for their favorite teams uh, and can't be there and, and be able to be loud with one voice to root for their team to win. That will be really, really strange. But you know that's likely. And I, I'm adjusting to it as a fan myself that would love to go to, to games. I don't go to as many games as I used to. Um, but the point is, is that when you're out there, boy, it feels great. It feels great when you're able to go out there and you can be able to support your team by yelling and screaming and getting into it. And it's going to be different. It's going to be different, at least for the short term. I don't know if it's going to be long term, but for the short term. So what I'm telling you is that it is really good to continue to support your team despite you not not being there. Uh, at some point, we will be able to get there. But at this point in time, it is strange. It is, it's strange now to, to watch the UFC and watch these uh, boxing matches and watch pro wrestling and all these other things that, are, that have tentacles around sports to not see fans. And, but this is where we are in new normal. How about this, Eric? Just real quick. I'll tell you something I, I did watch this weekend. Um, it was on, I believe it was uh, Saturday. Saturday, right? Okay. <laughs> Saturday, late Saturday night. ESPN had rugby on. Uh, rugby is a pretty entertaining watch. Yes. I don't understand all the rules. No, nope, me was neither. Live, but it, was, it said live in the corner, so it was live. Live from New Zealand. I was going to guess Australia, but okay. There New we Zealand, right? Uh-huh. Crazy, but here, but we talk about normalcy, right? I'm watching rugby from New Zealand because it's on ESPN two. I'm just flipping past. I'm like, wait a minute, that must be an old game. Live, it was four o'clock in the afternoon in New Zealand, which made it what is it nine ten o'clock whatever in, in Chicago, whatever it was. But it was an afternoon Sunday afternoon game. No masks, people sitting next to one another. As if it like New Zealand's a completely different planet. They are not dealing apparently with COVID nineteen. Players on top of one another, and it was like it was a, eh, like half full the stands. But the 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 place where you could sit, where there was the sun, 
is completely sold out on that side of the field. And I, and I thought, wait, in 2020, I'm actually watching a sporting event where fans are sitting next to one another at a rugby event in New Zealand as if nothing is happening on the other side of the world. And it was cool to watch. It was different, for sure. That's interesting. That, that kind of seals the deal. You want to join me? Move to New Zealand? We'll go to some sporting <laughs> events. We can broadcast remotely. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I, could, I could learn rugby. I'm in. I just thought it was just strange. Like, I'm like, like this can't be. This got to be from 2013, right? It's got to be from 2012. No, live, live, live. And I'm just watching them. You know, these guys bruising one another and just like going after each other. I'm just like, wow. Now that's what sports used to look like. It's almost. It was almost old school to see. Right. That, it felt right? surreal in a bit. Right. Dude, it was it, people shoulder to shoulder and cl- you know clapping and, and rooting for their favorite rugby team. I said, "Wow!" On the other side of the world on a on a Sunday afternoon, that's that's their football, their rugby, and it was just it was amazing. I'm like, "Wow!" I, when will we see that again? That's... You know, we as I just mentioned, we have to adjust. It's different. We have to adjust. But it was interesting to watch that. Um, so. We'll take your phone calls here. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone. And we're going to hear from Nick Friedel on the NBA, some NBA storylines for you um, as their season is about to get underway in Orlando. We'll hear from Nick coming up at the bottom of the hour right here on UTH. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. As I told you, that it's going to be an adjustment for you and I when it comes to our favorite sports teams and not being able to go to the stadiums, the arenas that we're used to. So what is that? We're talking about this now in the summer, but what about the fall? Like, if you're a Bears fan, will you be able to go to Soldier Field to see the Bears? See, all that's up in the air when it comes to the NFL. And so the plan is something I'm interested in, like the NFL. So what's the plan for people like you and I, if we want to go to Soldier Field to see the Bears. As someone who enjoys NFL Sundays, um, I I like to know what the plan is for uh, this season because COVID-19 is serious. Some turn a blind eye to it, as you well know, and some um, believe that wearing a mask is against their freedoms, and some believe that it's going to continue to keep, bring the curve down. I will always listen to medical experts versus some egg on Twitter with three followers telling me what science is. I'll I'll, I'll go with the people that actually have studied the science and versus someone who has not. And so as a football fan, I need to know from Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, uh, whether it's going to be safe for you and I to be able to go to the stadiums. I'm, I'm getting locked in here to believe that I won't be able to do this anytime soon. But you think about it. 68,000 people at CenturyLink Stadium in Seattle, 72,000 people at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, like 60, 70,000 people at Soldier Field, 105,000, 121 people at Jerry World in Dallas. Um, So is that going to happen or not? That's what we're used to. So I'm asking for the NFL to give us a plan. One thing for sure is with the different iterations of plans from state to state on what phase that we're in, we just know and we feel that's never going to be the same. Uh, and what about the players like the NBA, the NHL, UFC, pro wrestling, soccer? They're all pushing their way through with their sport, even though we've seen some positive tests. Now, for some of the sports like the NBA, uh, really minimal tests. 
Um, what we've seen from Major League Baseball, very you know, very minimal test. In football, what are the safety measures? The, the league has taken enough physicality out of the game. So what is the NFL going to look like in 2020? And I know that the NFL players have had plenty of Zoom meetings and not a lot of one-on-one practice time, but during this time last year, many of us were going to Bourbon A to check out the Bears. And if you're a fan of another team, you're going to that training camp facility to check out your favorite NFL team. And sadly, we can't do that now. And and the players can't practice like they did because of COVID-19. As we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Sam Acho, former Bear, was on Get Up this morning. He's an NFL free agent as we speak. And he's someone who is a player's rep and had some interesting things to say on Get Up this morning on ESPN television. He says that the players in the NFL want to play, but the league isn't making it very easy at all. The thing about the mission, about we want to play, is it's that simple. We really do want to play. We've been negotiating for months with owners about trying to find a safe and healthy return-to-work protocol. We've hired experts, jointly hired by the NFLPA and the NFL, and those experts have made recommendations, and the NFL has refused to follow them. Like what? Give me an example. So, for example, there's a six-week return-to-play protocol that the health experts recommended as far as getting ready for a football game, right? 52 days away, six-week return-to-work protocol. That protocol did not include two, three, four preseason games because the experts didn't think that was going to be beneficial for us getting back to playing football and starting a season on time. Well, the NFL heard those recommendations and essentially ignored those recommendations. And now they're trying to get players back with as many preseason games as possible with less than the six weeks to get ready for that first game. Acho also says that the NFL does not want to listen to their own medical experts. We've been negotiating with the NFL for months, for months and months. We've actually got a a joint committee of health experts chosen by the NFL, right? And some of them chosen by the NFLPA as well. And the health experts have agreed to certain protocols that we should all follow in order to continue to play football in a safe way. And the NFL has, has said, no, we're not going to follow those agreements. Essentially is what happened. And so that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing, you're seeing the NFL ignore, completely ignore the doctors who they've uh, hired, uh, number one. And they're saying, well, you know what? I feel like two, three, two preseason games are better. So let's just throw out two preseason, preseason games, even though the doctors said no. They're saying, you know what? Let's just figure out a, a way to get out there, even though there's no um, health protocols that have been set. Just, just figure it out. It's almost like sending out the lambs out to slaughter. And, and, and we have said from the beginning, we want to play. Let's figure it out now. At the very last minute, the NFL is trying to put pressure and say, um, say that y'all are going to report no matter what, and that's not the case. So thoughts there from Sam Acho. Interesting um, that the NFL does not want to listen to their own medical experts. See, once again, when you are going through this pandemic, when you're not sure if – you and I as fans can be able to go to the games. You have to be able to have this, the ball rolling for this in March, if nothing else in April. I'm always confused at when sports finds themselves behind the eight ball, because you see this coming. Same thing with college football, uh, especially in the South, um, the SEC, the big, the big 12, the ACC says, ah, let's see what the, you know, put their, they put their finger up their first finger up and just feel the wind and see whether or not, you know, which way the wind's blowing. Let me just lick my my first finger and just hold my first finger up to see what's happening. That's not how you test COVID-19. You got to have protocols in place. The thing that I just don't understand 
is why is it that the players are always set aside as if they're you know that they're, they're not human you don't know it's about the safety procedures for the players why is that so, so hard for people to understand it is one thing to say if you're the NFL okay you know what we're going to postpone our season or we'll push it back a month to see what's going on but the idea that here we are in July there's no training camps open. We don't know what's, what's, what is next. It's really weird to me. This wait-and-see approach, you've got to be able to act. And if you, make, if you make a decision and you have to adjust, you can do that. You can do that. You can readjust. But I, I just, you know, the, when it comes to the players, though, that's the number one thing. You've got to make sure that the players are healthy because without the players, as you well know, there's no National Football League. As we talk about this here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app, Jeff Darlington covers um, the NFL for ESPN. He says some of the NFL players might file a grievance. Darlington is a guy that covers this NFL for a, for a long time and, and talks a little bit about where we are when it comes to the players uh, and, and trying to figure out what happens uh, with um uh, with the grievance situation, because it's something that very well could happen. Jeff Darlington with more. It all works around a potential grievance filed from the NFLPA over unsafe working conditions. If they go that route, if rookies show up this week and they feel like there are too many positive tests or the situation is not ideal for those young players in the Houston Texans camp, Kansas City Chiefs, wherever, then the PA could file this grievance and then things sort of shut down. It buys some veteran players some time because they don't have to report until around July 28th. So it would expedite the negotiation. That would be the goal from the player side because they feel like the NFL is sort of running the clock out on them here, just trying to get to the very last minute before they have to do anything. So if during that grievance they can't work out some of their issues, that's when maybe players would say, look, we're just not going to show up for now, go on a mini strike, and then you have the, not only the preseason at stake, but week one of the regular season. Oh, just too right by the players. Because the players matter too. Figure it out if you're Roger Goodell. Don't don't be baseball. <laughs> you know, as far as you know, going back and forth with negotiations, just figure this out. You know, that if there if you and I can't go to games, at the very least, get the games on time if possible. But also make sure that the players are safe with the testing and everything else that they have to go through. All I know it is once again you're tempting fate. When you have a bunch of football players out there, I don't care what kind of mask that you have out there for those players, it's going to be difficult uh, for players to stay safe out there. As long as they're tested and tested negatively, that's great, but it's still a physical sport. This is going to be a tough one for sure. I'm uh, confused. Like, what what the hell is the NFL been doing during these last, where we know this whole pandemic's been going on? Rookies report at the end of this week for every team, and then for the Texans in chief, they were supposed to report today. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are they trying to put a plan together now? What were they doing these last three months? I don't, I don't get it. Eric Ostrowski, that is a very good question, and this is why I'm saying that, and again, March 11th is not the time to put the plan together because Rudy Gobert t- touches all the microphones, right? And we're just like, oh, you know, coronavirus is here, but no one really understood it. But at the same time, when you see all the other sports shut down, then guess what you do? Guess what you do? You have to be able to have a plan in place because if you're the king of sports, people should lead by what you're doing. 
right? You're, you're the NFL. So at least by May, as you start to see the curve go up and you start to see what's going on in the country, you've got to be able to adjust. It's July. It's, it's not just July. It's July 20th. <laughs> you know, the season starts in September. So what are we waiting for? It's crazy. Just crazy. Uh, how you got, you got the game on in there and you're still, I there? just saw Aloy, uh, <laughs> little grand slam off of you here. Yes. Not I, was, off of I was yelling over here. Not off, not off of me. He didn't hit oh, it, he, he, oh, okay. I was like, what do you mean? He, well, yeah, he didn't hit it off of me. He hit it off of you. He hit it off of you. <laughs> <laughs> so much for you, Darvish, Cy Young. God, he's such an enigma. He's such a, it just, such, like the next outing, like when, when opening day gets, when he gets a second outing, which will be the 25th of July, the Saturday, he'll be lights out. But then the next outing, you don't know what you're going to get. He's so Jekyll and Hyde. He really is. Just so weird. Just uh, you know, just and you're trying to win with starting off with Hendricks and then Darvish. It's crazy. We'll see. That's that's for the baseball show. That's when we have to try to figure this out. The baseball show. That's crazy. But yeah, this the uh, big time home run by Eloy. He gets lost in the sauce sometimes, Eric, when it comes to young players on this roster. Like we just assume, oh, he's going to hit like sixth or seventh, and whatever he does, no, he's he'll be an impact player for this team. It's a future DH. All right, coming up. We will hear from Nick Friedel, get his thoughts. He had some very controversial choices that he made for MVP and for Coach of the Year for the NBA. And we're going to get talk to him about the Bulls, too. You see a Darnell Mayberry piece from The Athletic? He wants Jim Boylan out now. We'll talk about that and more coming up next with Nick right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for being with us here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter at TweetJHood. It's time for some NBA conversation. The NBA is right around the corner as they are all in the bubble in Orlando. Nick Friedel covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. He joins me here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Nick. Hello, my friend. Any interesting bubble stories that you've been able to hear so far uh, about in Orlando? <laughs> I think the, the, the one thing, first and foremost, that I hear not only in talking to our friend Malika Andrews, but in plenty of other friends that are down there in the bubble hoodies, that everybody feels safe. And truly, I think that is a great, great thing, uh, not only for uh, potentially the next few months, but it's a credit to the league that this thing has gone off so far without much of a hitch. It seems like everybody's in good spirits down there you just hope that uh, everybody can stay safe for the next next hour many weeks uh, that thing would have to go till mid-october uh, but as far as uh, the intrigue i'm on these zoom calls every day and what's so fascinating is the interaction between players coaches just teams from all over the place, and they kind of just walk by each other in some lobby. <laughs> and I'll give you an example. Uh, I was talking to Eric Folster the other day, listened to him on one of the Heat Zoom calls, and he was saying that he ran into Quinn Snyder 
the head coach of the Jazz, and they were discussing how they wanted to attack their scrimmage game. And, and Spolster said, I've never done this before. Uh, ever since I've been in the league, the situation has not popped up to talk about a coach or talk to a coach about a preseason game. But uh, in this moment in time, we were both talking about how we can help our teams the most. So just those casual conversations that are occurring every day down there. That is pretty interesting and, and something that could linger for a long time once everybody gets out of the bubble. I have to take you to task about some of these votes that you have here on ESPN.com already. Hey, um, you wouldn't be the first one to do that. No yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you guys are already rolling out the MVP, the most valuable player, uh, six-man award, defensive player of the year, and I don't, and coach of the year, rookie of the year. I don't mind this happening because I have said on the record many times that once the season starts, it should be the playoffs. It not should not be the regular season unless absolutely. You know, I absolutely. just I mean because it's just so dangerous out here with COVID nineteen. We don't know what will happen, even though it's it's safe in that bubble. We just don't know if the next dope like Dwight Howard going outside of the bubble and having to be reprimanded and not wearing a mask and all this. So that's the thing that that we're concerned with, but. So you put your vote in here with the, the likes of Kevin Arnovitz and Jerry Bembry and Nick DePaula. They asked the shoe guy to jump in with his thoughts on the NBA. Uh, I like Nick DePaula, uh, Bobby Marks, uh, George Sedano, and, and many others. So your MVP vote goes to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, even though, Nick, every time someone asks you about you know the best player in the NBA or asks you about MVP, it's Giannis who doesn't have enough it's the Bucks. They're not that good. Good. All this nonsense. Well, if that's the case, then vote for LeBron. What are you doing there? Like you can't. You can't come on this show all the time and say, "Who do you know? Giannis is good, but too young. Still not enough." All right. Well, fine. Then he's not the MVP of the league. Then LeBron should be. Well, okay. Now, I appreciate you giving me the forum always, and I always enjoy the back and forth for for years and years and years. The answer to your question in this case, though, is. Giannis, to me, is the best player uh, throughout this season again. But the reason I have never bought into the Bucks, and and you know better than anyone, this does not this hadn't started this year. This has started for three or four years at this point. I just don't like the supporting cast at all. I I do not think Eric Bledsoe is a starting point guard on a championship team. I really like Chris Middleton but I'm not sure he is the second best player on a title team. Uh, I think their their depth is okay. I don't think it's championship level depth. Uh, that's the issue. Giannis being unbelievable, being uh, the most consistent great player in the game night to night right now, uh, I, I stand by completely. It's the other parts of the Milwaukee Bucks as to why I just don't believe that the way they're constructed will get them all the way to the top. I mean, they may may prove me wrong this season, uh, but I still don't think that when push comes to shove in the playoffs, and this is why the argument is so interesting, and this is why fans uh, have such an intriguing time uh, listening to who may or may not be the MVP every year. If you gave me one guy to win one game, that's a different person. To me, 
hoodie, that's Kawhi Leonard. If I had one game I had to win right now, it's not even LeBron. I would say I would take LeBron second. Mm-hmm. I would take Kawhi first. But night-to-night consistency at a great level in the regular season, that's what wins the MVP usually with the narrative that's so important. And to me, that's Giannis again this season. Okay. What is it that Giannis does that LeBron cannot this season? I think the difference for me with Giannis this year, if we were just looking at Giannis and LeBron, Giannis may well win the Defensive Player of the Year award. Giannis defensively uh, is unbelievable, and offensively he's still not where he will be down the line because that jumper, especially that long-range three-pointer, that's not there consistently yet. But if you if you're saying, okay – Giannis or LeBron, to me, the difference just this year is that defensively Giannis's game has taken another step. And as fantastic as LeBron is and was throughout this season, you, there were still times where you kind of went, all right, is he taking, <laughs> is he taking a few of these possessions off? Mm-hmm. And Giannis being much younger, uh, and at just at a different part of his career, I, I didn't get that sense when I watched him. You know you're making Giannis the more complete package than LeBron. That's what it sounds like on this side of the conversation. I And I understand that. And if you were telling me who would you take to win a playoff game on your team, I would take LeBron James. I've watched it way too many years and way too many times. But again, with the MVP award, it's a regular season award. It is the player that you think has the biggest impact on his team. And at least to me, everybody's got a definition, a different definition, it always seems. And, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But to me, Giannis on a nightly basis, every night, will give you everything he's got. And he plays at a higher level night to night in the regular season uh, than anybody else out there. But in LeBron's defense, if I'm taking one player to win one game in the playoffs between those two, I'm not even thinking twice. It's LeBron every single time and twice on Sunday. Nick Friedel covers the NBA for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. One other thing about these awards uh, from the 20 writers, uh, and you included with this, is Coach of the Year. So so you do know that, like, Frank Vogel is, like, the 11th most interesting thing about the Lakers, right? <laughs> but yet you give him the, the tally for a coach of the year over the great Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer. Uh, I see Billy Donovan got a vote as well. Uh, that's from Mark Spears. Oh, boy. Uh, so so the, the former NABJ president and I will have a conversation about that. <laughs> Mr. President, sir, what are you smoking again? Uh, I will ask. I want to ask you about your Vogel vote. What is what's this now? I am giving yeah. Frank Vogel an immense amount of credit for coming into the situation he came in hoodie and getting everybody to buy in. Uh, I think that what he did in Los Angeles uh, is really, really impressive, and and that's just from a basketball standpoint. I mean. The emotional highs and lows for the Lakers this season 
are unlike anything we've ever seen in the league. And for Frank Vogel to keep his team focused night to night, to integrate the players like Anthony Davis, uh, that new group into what they had already started to try and build last season, and for them to play uh, not only defensively but uh, to to play at at that high level where they were just kicking the hell out of teams uh, for a couple months there when when they were rolling through the regular season games. I mean, Nick Nurse is probably going to win the award. You can make the case for Brad Stevens. But to me, Frank Vogel is never going to get as much credit as he deserves for this season because of the greatness of LeBron and because of the fact that Anthony Davis has come in and had such a gigantic impact. But there's still got to be somebody behind the scenes that gets everybody to buy in at the same time. And that's why I gave my vote uh, to Mr. Vogel. The NBA season, uh, the restart for this, Nick, as you well know, is right around the corner, starting on uh, Thursday, July 30th. Um, so uh, there are some must-see games that's on your list uh, for the restart for the NBA. The big one to me, Hoodie, is, I believe, August 1st, and it's Nuggets Heat. Uh, and there's some, uh, there are some really good ones. Uh, Clippers-Lakers should be interesting to start to see just how much both of those teams are invested in those seeding games. I know Bucks and Celtics uh, is, is going to be good because there are a lot of people that believe that the young legs of the Celtics can push them through in the East. But to me, at least in those first couple of days, the game I'm looking forward to watching the most is Miami and Denver. And why? That's because when you listen to the Heat players, and I've listened to Jimmy uh, now for 10 years almost. When you listen to them, though, Hoodie, they genuinely believe that they can go and win this thing. Now, do I think they can do that this year? No, I don't. But they think that culture, the ability to focus just on basketball, the ability to push everything else uh, out that's going on in the world in that moment when you're playing the game, they think that that can take them uh, to to some next level above everybody else. Uh, and I do think it gives them a little bit of an advantage. So on top of the fact that it's going to be interesting to see what Jokic can do, uh, I know the, the Nuggets are getting uh, another couple guys back in the next few days. That team has had their issues with COVID-19, like several others around the league. But that that pairing of East and West early in those seeding games is going to be really interesting to watch. By the way, that is a positive for the NBA when it comes to uh, COVID-19. Great story today about the NBA. The Players Association said today that the Corona test of 346 players at the bubble in Orlando uh, have yielded zero positives. Well, that is, that is a step in the right direction at this point in time for the NBA, isn't it? It's, huge it is huge and hoodie if the nba can pull pull this off if they can go the length of the bubble with no real major setback or or the virus spreading within the bubble that is just a gigantic credit to adam silver to michelle roberts and to the players because everybody had to buy in and make sure that they were all on the same page to make it work uh, there were a lot of people, myself included, who questioned if it could work 
inside that bubble, and there's still a long ways to go. But as far as early returns, there couldn't be a better one for the league, believing that they're keeping the bubble safe and the people inside it are feeling good about their environment. Darnell Mayberry from TheAthletic.com says he doesn't understand why Jim Boyle is still a, still a Bulls coach. Darnell's right. I agree with him. <laughs> I read the column. Uh, I, I, I shook my head uh, <laughs> many times watching uh, how the Bulls were not only operating throughout the season, Rudy, but how they've uh, chosen to just kind of let this whole thing linger. Uh, you know, you, they finally they finally make the decision to to at least fire Gar and push Pax into a different role. All the goodwill that they built up from a fan base that was beyond ready to see those two moves made, all that goodwill is gone if you keep Jim Boylan. And what I can't figure in I'm not around day to day uh, like Darnell and and the other beat writers. I I but I do talk to enough people around that organization still. I just cannot figure how <laughs> if if uh, the the new front office has done their due diligence and they've talked to players and they've talked to uh, the people inside the organization that deal with Jim on a daily basis, how they could decide, even if uh, Mike Reinsdorf really wants Jim Boylan to come back, how they could decide that he should come back when everything else has started fresh, uh, that's beyond me. And I, I can only say if if I were the Bulls and you have tried to get this professional makeover moving forward, I, I – to see them bring back Boylan, knowing that at least there are a few players and there are plenty of people within the organization that just shake their heads at some of the things that he says and does. If they bring him back in that moment, all that goodwill is gone, and you just are left to say one thing at that point, buddy. Only the Bulls. Because yes. only the Bulls would make that move. <laughs> right. Well, I, I guess my, my thought on it was – if you're Karnaschovas and you're Eversley and you know that you have a head coach in place, if you want to make that move, go ahead and do it. Um, I just don't want the Bulls to miss out on what would be a good coach that could fit. Um, and, and so that's my whole thing. Like I understand that you know the Bulls won't be playing here in these with the, with these other 22 teams. Just put yourself in a position though that if you're going to restart this thing, make sure you have the right coach. And I'm sure there's a number of coaches they can go to. I just hope that the coach they want doesn't take a job and they go, oh, well, now we have to settle for second best. Because once you start being part of an organization, Nick, and you're running it, you want to have your best foot forward quickly, not some A to B coach. I, I, I agree with you completely. Your point is very well taken. And I would just say this. If the Bulls are intent on bringing Jim Boylan back, if, if that is what the organization has decided, just come out and say it. This weird kind of twisting in the wind, will they or won't they, what, what are they waiting on, it doesn't make sense optics-wise. The, the whole argument early on 
when the new front office was was having their Zoom press conferences was, you know, we want to give this time, we want to do our due diligence, we owe it to Jim to sit down and talk, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, all right. Well, that time is long gone at this point. Either stick with him and come out and say, this is our coach, uh, or make the decision to sit here and just wait. And every day that goes by, have the fan base wonder exactly what's going on. That doesn't make sense either, especially when you have finally changed course and you've allowed somebody uh, several more people to come in and, and put a stamp on, on the organization. So uh, I'm looking at it from a distance, but what I'm seeing is a lot of the same stuff that drove fans crazy for so, so long under the previous regime. And ultimately what I'm saying is I, I want Atkinson to be the head coach for the Bulls before someone else takes him. <laughs> because, I mean, also, oh, I thought you were talking about Tibbs, buddy. You're not talking oh, about Tibbs? Oh, no, no. He's already got the Knicks job locked up. And that's, an, <laughs> that's another conversation we have to have, too, because as much as your buddy Tibbs is well-liked around the league, I don't know how many times he's got to fail before some teams or some organizations have to say, you know what, maybe we should go with someone modern a little bit more younger. How is it that you just keep passing up Hawk Griffin? How, how do you keep yeah. uh, passing up uh, like young assistant coaches in the league to say, you know what, Tibbs is the right guy before he burns through another roster? And and I could it, say that because I've seen this in real time. It's it's so intriguing, Hoodie, and, and this speaks to the the issues of the league uh, in in finding the right guy over time to lead your team. There were so many jobs that that people passed up Tibbs for. For so many years, mm-hmm. uh, that that he felt like he deserved a chance and didn't get the opportunity, <laughs> and it's like once you have that success in the NBA, there's always another team that seems to believe that you can recreate that, uh, and to get that opportunity and to have it work is, is just it's so fleeting in the league. Uh, but but Tibbs for so long thought he was getting passed over and was interviewing for these jobs. He's like, this guy, he just doesn't seem to have what we need. And now all of a sudden he's potentially, and I'm with you. I mean, it sure sounds like all signs are pointing to Tibbs to the Knicks. It, it's just, it's so interesting because you know there are guys out there, whether it's Adrian Griffin, who I'm also a big fan of. I think that Griff could come in not only to the Bulls, but any team and make an impact pretty quickly. But they're out there. And the question is, do one of these teams take the risk that it's going to need to take in order to give somebody else a chance? Uh, And are they going to have the patience that it's going to take to help that person grow within the organization? But but Tibbs is, it's such an interesting example because he couldn't get a job, couldn't get a job. He gets a job. He does great, but the issues are there. And now (laughs) teams continue to think that they can get him in and he can recreate what he did in Chicago and whether he will be able to in New York or not, if he does get that job remains to be seen. Nick, as always, I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for coming on with us live from Orlando. You got it, my man. I will talk to you soon. So you know what's next in the show, right? Hit me. Yeah, we got summer of football, and I know that you've asked this question on the dating scene before. Where do you see yourself in three years? Well, ESPN knows where the Bears will be in three years. That's coming up next right here on UTH. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.